Hello everybody, welcome to the UK Packers podcast as usual. I'm your host at Steve NFL on Twitter and of course follow the group at UK Packers. And it, it's a special guest episode, but I'm happy to say my brother from the same mother, but probably a different father. It's uh, Daryl, at Daryl J. Brian. What's going on? Welcome back. Hello. Welcome back. Hello, hello. Special guest, Daryl. Um, people, some people fangirl, fanboy over... Various people, but you're a big fan of her of her next guest, am I right? Yes, absolutely. Do you want to do the introduction? Well, he needs no introduction, Daryl. Uh, so this is ah. a man. Look, we're big fans of him. Um, anyone who listens to the podcast will be well aware of how big of fans we are, and we read his articles and stuff. And he he works for Daryl. And let me say this: the 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 athletic, the athletic, athletic. Whip. Um. So it's what? very hard to say as an Irishman, but we have none other than. And hold your horses here a little bit, right? Because he is on. It's um, Matt Matt Schneidman from The Athletic. Hey, Matt. How are you guys? I wouldn't say I have fans. It, I'm, 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 I ain't nothing. I have readers. That's mm. what I have. And I appreciate you guys for having me on. I appreciate you guys for always name dropping me. It's an honor. Um, I'm excited. Two weeks until training, less than two weeks till training camp when we're talking now. Uh, on Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening. Uh, so I'm ready to go. Yeah. And just to clear this up, because as you said, I mean, you know, you've kind of become a cult figure here. Uh, Matt Schneidman, is that the correct um, correct pronunciation of your of your name, Matt? I know we just talked about this a little off air. I, I like that. I, I like I like to keep it a little subtle. Okay. okay. Uh, I, I, I know, and, and I'm not going to say what I said I might, because... I want to make sure that I know exactly the heritage of my last name before I do that. I don't want to put the German twist on it and then be wrong about where okay. it comes from. Okay. So that's perfectly fine. I don't deserve any more pizzazz than what you guys are already giving it. So you, so you, Matt Schneidman. Um, there you go. There, that's for the listeners. All right. If I, if we didn't do it, Matt, you know, and this is where yeah. everything after this is just AI. We've just added Matt's voice because he's probably hung up. But um, Matt, look. You work for the Athletic, all right, which is hard to say as an Irishman. We've robbed him. I was talking to Rob, and I was trying to get him on, and he's he's bouncing around. He's bringing his kid off to basketball, and he's got all this stuff going on. And he's you know he he delves into other sports, let's say, in the off season, you know. And I've spoken to an awful lot of radio personalities as well, Matt, where you know they do the radio show, and it might only be four hours in the day, but you know they literally come in and they're working their nine, ten, eleven, twelve hours doing the research and the prep and everything like that. From your perspective, and again, your your articles are super researched, super detailed and everything like that, but it's the off-season and, you know, podcasts out there struggling for content. What is life like for you as a journalist um, who is on the beat for the Packers? It is in the off-season. Is it a Michael Bublé-style thing where you kind of go off to your man cave and you just disappear and chill and hang out and drink beers? Or are you plugging away for stuff and research and stories and all that kind of stuff? Because we know you're still releasing articles, of course, on The Athletic. But does it simmer down for you? Yeah, it definitely simmers down. I would say it's more boring. Uh, you'd probably find very few people on the beat who would say this, but I enjoy being busy and working during the season way more than than the off season i mean still going to the owners meetings and the combine and lambo for the draft and all the um off season practices and mini camp stuff 
but a lot of my work can be done remotely. And as most people probably know, I'm not from Green Bay. I'm from the Connecticut, New York City, New Jersey area. Um, so I spend a lot of time back there during the off season, probably less time this year, but, uh, you know, I had a, my best friend's wedding back there, hmm. a couple hangouts back there. I try to get to a couple New York Yankees games since I'm a diehard Yankee fan, as people probably know, and, uh, maybe are a, a little, uh, annoyed with since I tweet about them maybe more <laughs> than would like, but yeah, I, I, I can never fully check out just the, the reporter in me always has to be plugged in 24 seven. So when my mom says, put Twitter down, check out, I can't because <laughs> I'm always worried. I've, I've had too many times in my very brief career so far where I've missed something on Twitter because I'm taking a nap or, or I just have my phone down. So I, I can't always check out, but there definitely are times where I, you know, I'm not as in tune with everything going on and, and my editors force me to take PTO cause I don't really want to do it, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I still have to have content for everyone. Um, I've been doing position previews the last couple of weeks. There's always feature stories that I have some more time to work on in the off season than I would during the daily grind of the season. But I, I like to stay busy. I, yeah. I don't have a family. Obviously I'm 27 years old. Um, uh, I'm not like Rob. He, he, I don't have kids. Uh, I just have a studio apartment here in green Bay and, and sometimes it gets boring. So I, mm. I safe to say I am very much looking forward to camp getting started here and actually having stuff to do. Yeah. And I suppose it, well, you know, you say, I suppose this off season then Matt probably resembled other off seasons, but as a journalist, how different was last off season from a content point of view? And I suppose the, follow on question from that then is how do you gauge the mood around the camp now based on what it was like last off season? Yeah, I, I think last off season was unique because for example, I was at my you know, my buddy's engage the the friend who got married, his engagement party last July and I couldn't really like socialize or mm-hmm. hang out because I always had to be looking at my phone because that was three days before training camp started, uh, you know, waiting on people to text me back and message me back after I checked in with them about whether Aaron Rodgers was showing up to camp or not. Uh, I can't sit here and truthfully tell you that I would prefer that over this offseason <laughs> when it was only a couple of weeks of, is he going to keep playing or not? Uh, the last couple months have been relatively, I don't want to say stress-free, but drama-free. And listen, any reporter will tell you who covers the Packers, Aaron Rodgers pays the bills. So uh, I'm, I'm thankful to cover in an athlete as polarizing, as newsworthy as him, because it makes my job. It doesn't always make my job easier, but you always want to cover a team that's relevant. And yeah. sometimes it keeps you having a job. You know, sometimes reporters for teams that don't have as many followers or, or relevant players don't have jobs, especially in today's economy. So yeah. uh, I will never complain about Aaron Rodgers making more work for me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thankful that uh, I cover a player like him, even though it is maybe, you know, I don't want to have to keep on, keep tabs on this, what he's doing or this, but uh, it, it, you'll never hear an actual serious complaint out of me about covering him. So it, it is a little different entering this camp. I think uh, there's obviously a lot less drama. The past two camps have been the, the first year with Jordan Love and then last year the standoff with the organization Hmm. everything seems fine right about now uh 
and I think everything will stay fine as long as David Bakhtiari is on the field in yeah. two Wednesdays from now. Yeah, which is really intriguing as well. I mean, you call them in your articles a kind of ACL club, the guys who have got this sort of manky uh, injury. But you sort of talk about the the drama and it all sort of, you know, for some people completely stems from Jordan Love to and then the Aaron Rodgers standoff and everything else. And, you know, Rodgers wouldn't even talk Gutekunst's name. It was like Voldemort to him. It was Harry Potter episodes in here because, you know, he was... And then it was all of the stuff that came out that he was sort of slagging Gutekunst off behind his back. And, you know, all of that's hearsay and it's rumour and and innuendo and all that kind of stuff. But, Matt, in your mind, where do you think this team is headed now? Because there's an assumption that we're all in again. And we've been saying this time and time again and... You know, people are saying, look, including me, can Rodgers even be brought back? Because the way the relationship was, plus, more importantly, almost the salary cap, you know, can they do it? Like, is this a team in transition? And I guess to even begin to talk about that, we have to start, as you said, the guy who, you know, turns on the lights in Green Bay. He's the guy who had the extension built on the stadium. He's the Peyton Manning of Green Bay, which is the stadium that Aaron built. But is it a year by year thing, do you think, with Aaron Rodgers? Because... We all know that he's talking about, uh, you know, why he's not scared to retire now. He knows what life is after that. He got this intricate tattoo, which has a lot of meaning to it. So, you know, he's starting to fulfill himself almost off the pitch more so than anything else. He sort of gives this image that he's cerebral. Matt, do you see that side of Aaron Rodgers? Is it a year by year thing? And do you think there is always going to be that uncertainty for you as a journalist and us as fans that every year we don't know what Aaron is going to do? Yeah, definitely. And, and- I didn't only think that before he said it, but certainly after he said it, you know, when we talked to him at, at minicamp a couple weeks back, I asked him um, how much longer he wanted to play. And he said, you know, my current deal is essentially a one-year deal and, and with two years tacked on after that. And I'll revisit, you know, what I want to do after this season. So for anyone who said, Oh, he signed a, a three-year extension with guaranteed money. He's, mm guaranteed to play the next two to three years. Nope, that's not true. Um, could he? Sure. But he's at the point in his career where uh, I, I think he feels it would be silly to make that commitment yeah. knowing that he may feel differently after this season. And yes, I understand fans don't want to have an off season, even if it's only a couple weeks of wondering what is he going to do? They just want to know. But I, I think it depends on how he's feeling, not only physically, but mentally, emotionally, and maybe even how the Packers finish this season. If they win the Super Bowl this year, is he more inclined to retire, just go out on top? Possibly. Um, so, so I think, you know, he said to us, he doesn't want to make any long-term commitment now when he knows that, you know, his, his feeling could change after the season. But all he does know is, He's 100% bought in for this season, ready to go. And I think that's all. Uh, I think Packer fans can, can understand that from him, especially at this point in his career. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really interesting to hear as well. I suppose, you know, he, as we all thought, he's going to be switched on for this. But that leads on then, I suppose, to Matt LaFleur and what he's done since he came on to build this offensive firepower. And it's one of those things people talk about now, this big hole that we're left with in the offense because Devante is not there. You know, and what do you think this offense is going to look like this year without Devontae standing there? Can, you know, in other words, can Aaron Rodgers succeed in, in what he wants to do without Devontae there? Yeah, 100%. I, I think, I know the, the stat has been tossed around, but I think it's a relevant one. Listen, I do not think the Packers are a better 
better off without Devontae. Will they turn out to be a better offense? It's possible, but mm-hmm. I, I, I think it would be foolish for anyone to say the Packers would rather not have Devontae Adams. The Packers are better off without him. But as we saw uh, against the Cardinals, for example, last year, it gives him a chance to spread the ball around. Maybe it makes things less predictable for opposing defenses. Aaron said himself a couple of weeks ago that 80% of the passing plays were pretty much designed around Devontae and intended for him. So mm-hmm. teams, knew, uh, teams couldn't stop it. That, that doesn't mean it was easier for defenses because they knew what was coming because they couldn't stop him. But uh, it'll make things a little less predictable if they don't know whether Lazard or Sammy Watkins or Randall Cobb or Amari Rogers or Christian Watson or Romeo Dubs will be the guy. Um, and, and I think when we're talking about which receiver is going to step up, mm-hmm. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and Robert Tunyon are just as important in, in fill, helping to fill that void. No, no, no one player is going to, to fill that void. It'll be a, a help by committee to, to fill that vacancy. And I, I think maybe we'll see the Packers become, I, I don't want to say they'll be more of a run-heavy team because no team with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback will be, mm. but maybe there will be more, more of an emphasis on the running game, um, even, even more so than there was last year more of an emphasis on getting the tight ends and running backs involved. Yeah, I mean, you made that point in one of your articles, actually, Matt, about the tight end, saying that they will really have to step up to the mark. In other words, if they're going to spread that ball around, I think that probably leaves, you know, what that probably means is that there's nowhere to hide for these individual players, that these performances, they're going to have to, instead of just depending on one player, we're going to have to depend on quite a few, which is probably better. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if any of the current wide receivers on the roster are... Uh, capable of handling those those true number one wide receiver duties. Mm. I, sure, maybe Alan Lazard will have that title, but uh, and Rogers said he thinks he's capable of it. But is Alan Lazard going to go out there and catch 115 yeah. passes for 800 yards and 15 touchdowns? No, but that's okay. I, I don't think the Packers need to have this stacked wide receiver room to be a good offense. They have Aaron Rodgers. They have a really good defense on paper. They should have a better special teams, and Aaron Rodgers will never be a game manager. But you saw what they did against the Cardinals last year, and I know mm-hmm. I keep using that example, but you know there are seven examples where they didn't have Devontae Adams over the last three years. Guess what? They're seven and zero. Aaron Rodgers has yeah. played really well in in those seven games. Aaron Rodgers has one interception. He's averaged almost three hundred yards and three touchdowns per game. Like against the Saints a couple of years ago when Devontae was out, Lazard had 146 yards and a touchdown. Hmm. Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon have stepped up. Tunyon had three touchdown catches against the Falcons a couple of years ago when Devontae was out. Like other guys step up. Sure, it's only been for one or a couple games at a time, and it's harder probably for them to do it consistently for a full season without Devontae, but it's possible. Yeah, it's so fascinating, really, isn't it? Because there's, as you say, there is that stat out there with those games without Devontae. And also, I mean, Aaron Jones' catching ability has been absolutely, like some of the catches he's done is highlight real stuff. Absolutely phenomenal. They wrote off AJ Dillon coming out of college because they had no stats behind his catching. So people assumed he couldn't catch, whereas that's something that he's working on. Jamal Williams, before he left, you know, that was the one area of his game that we knew he was sort of a different style back to to Jones and he was supposed to usurp Jones almost and, you know, with that injury and the Ty Montgomery experiment and everything else that went on there. But the one thing that they asked him to work on was his catching ability. Uh, he was working on that then, all of a sudden got let go. So I think, you know, 
our our receiving core has to be extended. And then uh, Bobby Tonyan, uh, or Tonyan, as we're supposed to call him now, you know, didn't he tie the stats with Kelsey there two or three years ago? Mm. So he has that capability when targeted, albeit in an area of the field that Aaron Rodgers, you know, allegedly doesn't like going. But, you know, it's I guess that's a an obvious area of fascination is the offense and what's going to happen. And, you know, is there addition by subtraction and everything else? But I think offensively, and it's counterintuitive in a way, is that you have to look at the strength of defense too. I mean, how many opportunities are the defense going to give the offense? Because, Matt, incredibly so, uh, you know, when we've Quay Walker and Enigbare and all of these players coming in, you know, a lot of hype around. And already, would you believe, and bearing in mind, they have not played a single game, and this is an unbelievable achievement, the Packers are the top 10 or top 5 or top 3 defence in the league already uh, according to some articles that are flying around so look you're on um, ground floor here Uh, you've had a little bit of a peek at these players obviously you've done a deep dive into their research and their game tape to write articles and stuff about them when you look at this defence Matt is it capable or is it impossible to say now again I'm asking a man who released his 53 man roster in June right so I know that you might want to dive into this and I hope you do but have you seen flashes from any of these younger players on defence in OTAs and sort of said okay he stands out I mean this is kind of a cop out answer but it's so hard Mm. to figure out which defensive guys are really going to stand out because A they can't tackle anyone. Yeah. Um, it's possible to get a read on edge rushers because they can't tackle the quarterback. Um, and the quarterbacks, so they're not really trying to get away from them. Defensive backs more so. Linebackers, not really, because a lot of that is, um, you know, stepping down to stop the run and dropping back in coverage. The, the only real things in decipher from training camp and, and, you know, these, half speed practices maybe a little bit of how the cornerbacks do in coverage but even then not really I mean nothing is really full speed until joint practices and preseason games and really a couple regular season games in is when you get the best indicator of how these rookies are going to do so a guy like Kingsley and Nagberry who the hell knows how he's going to be he could be the best guy in in a jersey and shorts and win a couple one-on-ones during joint practices but that means nothing and i i that's part of what aaron Rodgers was saying on the pat mcafee show the other day is you know everyone is so quick to crown these guys in shorts and and how good they are or how much of a bust they're going to be like i jokingly tweeted uh two handoffs from Jordan Love to Aaron Jones were fumbles, but like, that's not real football. They're just going through the motion. Yeah. And yet everyone loves to overreact. So do I, but I think we all know deep down that we can't make a real read on any of these defensive guys that we don't know about yet until the joint practices, those one-on-ones against other teams, uh, and preseason games really come in and maybe not even preseason games because those reps aren't, always against starters yeah yeah and i suppose it's probably a little bit of who knows in the next question as well but i think we probably need to think about coaching staff now and especially what sort of struck me was what i would call sort of one of rogers's translators almost in nathaniel hackett leaving do you think that's going to have a big bearing on how rogers behaves or how he gets his point across or how he's understood 
by the coaching staff? No, I don't think so. I think uh, his relationship with Matt LaFleur is rock solid enough that he doesn't need kind of that messenger. Plus, um, Tom Clements is here. Mm. And, and he that's kind of, uh, I guess you could say, if Rodgers needs an intermediary between uh, himself and Matt LaFleur, which I don't think he does, but if Matt LaFleur is handling something else, Rodgers has a guy that he can go to uh, in his room and closer to him, like he did with Luke Getzey and Nathaniel Hackett, and he and he has Tom Clements, and I think Adam Stenovich can be that guy too. Uh, we'll see how the Packers' offense changes. I don't think it will much since it's still a Matt Lafleur, Aaron Rodgers run offense. Um, but listen, I'd I'd be wrong if I were to sit here and say that uh, Hackett and Getzey won't be missed. Those guys were mm-hmm. extremely. In- Maybe we don't always see their influence on the offense because you have LaFleur and Rodgers as the big names behind it. But uh, those are certainly two significant losses for that offense. Yeah, that always strikes me really is that Nathaniel Hackett and they always talk about the brain trust and LaFleur is always very good. It's kind of deflecting anyway. You know, any of the blame is on him, any of the praise is on somebody else. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's interesting, isn't it? That, you know, with Stenovich stepping up and exactly what's going to happen there. But um, yeah, I, I guess we won't know until we see it actually stand out um, on the field. But look, you know, we're talking names, we're talking draft picks and, you know, the coaching staff has moved around and everything else. Now, you did an article in June about the the roster and the 53-man roster. Now, of course, you don't have the time to go into all 53 players, Matt, but, you know, you made predictions around the number of wide receivers, but you have hinted a couple of times around Julio Jones and how that might change. You've sort of hinted at the success that Watson might have uh, in this offense. Do you stand by the picks or do you want to sort of, I don't know, briefly overview where your head is at with that roster and where you think it's going to go for the people that haven't read that article? Yeah, I think, obviously, there's nothing more that I love than way too early roster projections. I'll probably have one or two, one or two more before camp ends. I'm just pulling it up right now. But um, I think the receiver position I, – I, here, let's go through it. So quarterback, mm-hmm. I think they're only going to keep two. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's obvious. Running back, I think the third running back spot is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kylan Hill's recovery from his, from his ACL – will dictate that. I think he's the third guy if he's healthy, but do they stash him on the PUP list to start the season, give him a little more time to heal because they don't think there's too much of a difference between what he can do and what Patrick Taylor can do. Yeah. Patrick Taylor did some nice things when he was given opportunities last year, 3.9 yards per carry on 23 carries. That's, that's not bad. Um, wide receiver, I think is the tricky one. I think they're going to keep six or seven. I think, I, I, like Sammy Watkins' contract doesn't say he's a lock, but listening to how Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur talk about him, they're like, he's going to have opportunities to do great things in this offense. Like, he's going to have an important role for us. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but they, they spoke glowingly about him. And um, maybe I'm a sucker for the moment in listening to Sammy Watkins talk and how he's talking about this is his his redemption season and how he has to his back is against the wall and mm. he's got to save his career. And, and this is a great situation for him, but I, I don't predict this will be like a Devin Funches where he just kind of flames out. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of their low risk high reward receiver chance signing that, that kind of flames out. So if he's there, that's him, Cobb, Lazard, Christian Watson, Amari Rogers, and Romeo Dobbs that I think are 
all locks to make the roster. You're not going to cut a second or fourth round pick. You can't cut Amari Rogers yet. You got to give him another chance. It's too soon to close the book on him. Hmm. Then Lazard and Cobb are locks. Dubs, uh, Matt, I mean, we've, you know, we have a guy, uh, Peter Jones, who covers the draft for us in exceptional detail, but he says Romeo Dubs, with the experience that he has, he says that he might be actually sneaky good in the success story of this wide receiver room. Have you seen anything to sort of lead you to believe that this guy, there's more to this guy than we think? I certainly think so. He, I, like, in, in the reps I saw from him this offseason, he, he was one of the guys that caught my eye. Now, like I said, I have to be wary of that, for, of, of, you know, OTA darlings or OTA heroes, if you want to call them. But I, I wouldn't look past him. Rogers likes what he has in him. Um, there are, like I said, they're not going to cut a fourth round pick, but if they're looking for deep threats and speed guys, which Matt LaFleur, I remember when we sat down with him at the owners meetings in Palm beach in March, he said, we need, we need guys that can take the top off the defense. That's a Christian mm-hmm. Watson. That's a Dobbs. That's a, Sammy Watkins. They went out and got three of those guys. So, you know, is, is there room for, I keep saying Julio Jones, could they sign a guy like that because of, you know, his his experience with Matt LaFleur, who was on that Falcons staff when, when Julio torched the Packers in the 2016 NFC title game? Sure, it's possible. And I know people like to joke, you know, oh, well, Julio or Sammy will only play eight games each, and yeah. let's just hope it's the different set of eight games. <laughs> Well, which is, which is a fair, which is a fair fair point. Yeah. Um, but I I think they could take a chance on a guy like that. Maybe take seven wide receivers instead of you know a and tenth offensive lineman or fifth defensive or sixth defensive lineman, something like that. Sure, that means parting ways with a guy like Juwan Winfrey, Malik Taylor, guys who are going to have their moments in camp, but uh, haven't really done much in in games that that count. Um, but I think going back to Romeo Dobbs, he has a place on this team, not only as a receiver, but I think he's in, he's in contention to be that punt returner. Cause I don't know how much of a leash Amari Rogers will have there this year, if any, uh, and Romeo Dobbs certainly got some work there in the off season, has some college experience there. And I think Rich Basaccia is intrigued by what he has in Romeo Dobbs as a return guy. Mm. It's good to get that take, isn't it, Daryl? Because um, it's someone yeah. that people aren't really paying attention to. And of course, you know, all the talk has always been about the first round wide receiver and everything else. But it's, sometimes it's these guys who fly, fly under the radar, which is a, which is an important uh, point you made as well on the defense where, um, was it Enig Barry or maybe even Walker is going to have a sort of a, a lower profile than Rashan Gary had when he came in because of the first round pick tag and because of the rawness and all of that kind of stuff, just kind of pedigree there. But not to disrupt you, uh, Matt, on the tight ends then, Mercedes Lewis just doesn't know when to call it quits. He's still operating yeah. at a ridiculously high level, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's he's incredible. He's shown no signs of slowing down. And uh, obviously you're not looking to him for pass catching production um but the the x factor here is is can robert tunyon get healthy and and give you what he gave you two seasons ago they had no pass catching prowess at the tight end position the second half of last season after tunyon's injury so they're going to need him to get healthy i don't know if that's going to be by week one but if it's early in the season i think they'll be fine there um the two guys Rogers name drops when talking about tight ends, Josiah Deguar and Tyler Davis. Mm. Thought it was a little interesting. Maybe I'm reading too much into it that Dominique Daphne wasn't one of those. 
But Tyler Davis is a name that's come up a lot this offseason as a guy who's impressed them uh, in practice, in limited game action. He could get some some opportunities. Uh, O-line, it all depends on David Bakhtiari. Nothing matters unless he's healthy. Um, I think I think the other thing to watch there is where Elton Jenkins plays once he's healthy. My guess is right tackle. Hmm. And I think then Ian Myers and Newman are the guys in the middle and Yash Nyman is your swing tackle. Will Sean Ryan or Zach Tom, you know, try and earn some reps from Royce Newman during camp? It's possible, but, you know, this staff trusts Newman. He played the most offensive snaps out of anybody on the team last year. So he knows what he's doing, even if it was up and down at times. Yeah. That was my question, actually, Matt. Do you think they trust him at this point? Because he it was when he first came yeah. in, he was lights out, right? And then all of a sudden, he's, his play was very sort of inconsistent, which is very hard to deal with probably as a coach. Yeah, I think, you know, Adam Stenovich called his play inconsistent at one point last season and then was very complimentary of how he kind of improved. Yeah. They didn't start him in the play game because they wanted to go with more, you know, veteran experience with, with Lucas Patrick at guard since, since Josh Myers came back. But I think they like what they have, and, and they've been using him at uh, right guard and right tackle this, this offseason. I think he can play both positions. So... Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do there once Jenkins comes back. I think once he's when he's still on uh, PUP to start the season, I think it's pretty obvious that the Packers will go Bocciari if he's healthy, Runyon at left guard, Myers at center, Newman at right guard, and then Yash Nyman at right tackle, at least to start camp. And then it'll be interesting to see if any of those rookies can push for a spot. Yeah. And D-line, I mean, have we finally got some sort of depth there now um, on D-line, some sort of dominant force? And of course, on the outside as well is is super intriguing. Do you buy into the hype of the defense and who do you who do you think sort of stands out there for you? It depends, as you said, probably on that wide receiver position um, as to how many they keep on O-line or D-line. But how do you see it shaking out? Yeah, I, I think the D-line has more depth, I think. That's what Kenny Clark said this offseason. But uh, I'm still not buying in that it's a great unit. You know, sure. Let's, I didn't think Devondre Campbell was going to be anything super special when he signed, but look what happened. That could be the same thing with Jaron Reed. You know, Dean Lowry is coming off the best season of his career. But, it, you know, still, Dean Lowry is not a second-in-command to Kenny Clark. They need Devontae Wyatt to be that guy. And, he, and he's not – he wasn't taking reps with the ones. I, I don't think – they need to bring him along that quickly just yet with, with a little more depth there than, say, at linebacker. You know, Quay Walker was working with the ones, but they don't have the, the luxury to, to bring him along slowly. They don't need to throw everything at Devontae Wyatt just yet. They've got veterans who've been there, done that before, who, who can do that at first. And they don't need to, you know, throw the whole thing at Devontae Wyatt yet. But they do need him to become that second-in-command to Kenny Clark at some point, yeah. I think. Maybe not this season. Not, not in the not too distant future. So uh, I'm looking at, at Dean Lowry, Jaron Reed, TJ Slayton for now, but then Devontae Wyatt not too far from now. Um, outside linebacker, I think, is the biggest concern on the defense, uh, not with the first two guys, but behind that. Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith both played 63% of the snaps last season, about hmm. uh, less than 60 it's not like cornerback where Jair and, and Eric Stokes are going to play every play in a game. If they're healthy. Ed rushers don't play 
every snap. You need depth guys. I think uh, Tifa, Naliai, and Jonathan Garvin didn't really show me much last year uh, in place of, you know, Zedarius Smith and Whitney Merciless when they were hurt. But guys like Kingsley and Agberry and Randy Ramsey, who I think the staff is excited about coming back from injury, who was going to be their number four outside linebacker in 2020 before he got hurt in camp. Yeah. Should be, if everything goes according to plan, the number three and number four guys. You know, the stat that I, I like to bring up, Nagberry was number two in the SEC last year in pressure percentage on opponent dropbacks behind Will Anderson Jr. from Alabama, who could be the number one overall pick in the 2023 draft. He would have been if he was allowed to come out this year. So he was productive at South what, And Matt, like what happened there? Do we know? Because I haven't seen, because usually people drop in the draft and then you, something comes out after, some story, some allegation, you know, rumor, innuendo. I still haven't heard anything about that. Is, is there any indication that you've heard as to, because when we get into character concerns, we've heard the Packers already wax on about how he's a cerebral guy, he's super clever, he's, he adapts well. So, you know, I don't see any red flags. Do you? No, I, not that I know of. Um, I Listen, there are a lot of good players in the draft. Sometimes I think it's just a matter of, you know, our GMs looking at these advanced stats of pressure percentage on, on opponent dropbacks. I don't know. That's just a stat that I found mm-hmm. that I think is the fact that this guy was productive. That, that could be something that, you know, scouts who know a lot more than me saw and were like, ah, they, he wasn't going against great tackles. Let's not value this as much. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I won't deny the fact. I'm not trying to use stats to, like, twist the narrative, but there are some stats that certainly paint a picture, mm-hmm. whereas that's paint a different picture about the same guy. And I'm, I'm not trying to, like, cherry-pick stats to make a point. No, but He was um, highly touted, though. That was, was the thing, is that, I mean, he came mm-hmm. out with an absolutely glaring review. I think in our draft guide, he was, like, a second-round pick or something. So, you know, we expected him to go, and he was one of the ones we were most enthusiastic about when the Packers did pick him up. And but kind of perturbed at where he went then to go, there's something more to this. Because even on other draft boards, he was quite high. So, I mean, you're you're right to pull out the good stats on him because he seems like a, an absolutely uh, dominant player. And it's just, it's still kind of baffling to us that we haven't heard anything. But look, Aaron Rodgers fell in the draft because there wasn't a need there. And I, they say that as if he went in the last round <laughs> when he really only dropped uh, down in the first, you know, that moment of shame. But yeah, I just thought um, it, it's really interesting that um yeah that's kind of it's kind of came out and there's been nothing else said about it um quay walker the real deal ty summers still hanging around i mean the packers sort of you know the roster is kind of littered with guys who i don't know like dean bloody larry right dean larry we we love his stats were ridiculous right we say dean bloody larry because he sounds irish um you know here's a guy who is consistent ish he's you know he's good he he puts the the grind in um you know there's players from from back in the day who were sort of written off and then all of a sudden they've won good season then they drop off and it's like an inside linebacker match you know Devondre Campbell as he's alluded to I mean a massive success story this might be he might be the Sammy Watkins as he said uh, on defense you know this whole sort of story it's the right place at the right time people wrote him off Quay Walker a guy who's you know I couldn't get any more hype but then you've Chris Barnes on your list and, and Ty Summers. We're lacking depth there, really, aren't we? At sort of proven, uh, you know, game players here. I would say so. Um, 
Listen, I think it's funny how it's seemingly for the last decade plus the Packers have kind of just, I, I don't want to say neglected, but mm. maybe take a little bit of a shortcut at the uh, inside linebacker position. And now once they found one really good guy, they're like, oh, let's go get another. That we think. <laughs> These are valuable. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, let's try this. Who knew? Who yeah. knew? I, I think it's interesting because uh, the Packers had five or six defensive backs on the field for 79.8% of their defensive snaps last season. That, that doesn't leave many snaps you'd think for a second inside linebacker. Um, but obviously if you have, only two interior defensive linemen on the field, two outside linebackers. Mm. You can have both a fifth defense and a second inside linebacker. I think what uh, Brian Gutekunst made a point of, of saying this offseason was that they think Quay Walker can give them, you know, personnel versatility that they haven't had in recent years. And, and what by that is, you know, normally when you line up with five defensive backs, it means you're defending against the pass. When you have two inside linebackers, it means you're gearing up to defend against the run. And maybe that makes things easier for opposing offenses to to crack the code. Um, they think Quay Walker can, can do both, just like Campbell, defend against the run and the pass equally as well. So by having him on the field along with Devondre Campbell, it maybe makes it less predictable for opposing offenses to be able to decipher what, what the Packers are gearing up to defend. So they think he can kind of put a wrench in the game plan. And I'm not saying he can be a nickel corner, play that star role, but they really like what he can do in terms of uh, a, a versatility standpoint. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, that you talk about the defense because when you look at defensive backs and inside linebackers, they're, they're slowly sort of coming together almost in body type because that whole base defense thing has been thrown out the window a long time ago. Um, of course, yeah. uh, we had Dom Capers' defense and every question that any defensive coordinator, any defensive coach came in, they were talking about, are you 3-4 three, four, four, three? And then Mike Petton was like, it doesn't really exist anymore because base defense mm-hmm. isn't really base defense. So they talked about cornerbacks. Yeah. So look, cornerbacks um, seems locked on, does not matter, with Jair Alexander, Rasul Douglas and Eric Stokes. And then after that, it's a, it's a little bit of a free-for-all um, uh, with, with cornerback. Would you agree? Definitely. I think that's also a concern. You know, knock on wood, because these guys need to stay healthy. I, they have prop, maybe the best top three in and, and as friend Bill Huber likes to say, gone are the days when you only need two good cornerbacks. You need three because of yeah. how much teams play yeah. nickel and dime. Listen, they they are probably. I'd need to really look through the the cornerback list, but just off the top of my head, they they, they might be the best cornerback trio in the league. They certainly think so. Yeah. Um, they have all the reason to believe that, but. Injuries happen. Sometimes you play with an extra cornerback. Keyshawn Nixon has some nickel experience. Obviously, he comes from the Raiders, but um, I think the Packers signed him more so for his special teams ability. Sure, he's a, a nice depth piece at corner maybe, but he's probably more of a special teams ace than a nickel corner. Mm. And then the other guys in that, you know, Kabion Ento hasn't played a defensive snap in his three-year career. That's in part because of injury. Shamar Jean-Charles, played I believe 37 defensive snaps last season and and teams targeted him six times completed all six passes for 70 yeah, yards yeah. Rico Gafford hasn't played a defensive snap in his career got into the league in 2018 because he was a wide receiver he switched back to cornerback now which was his position in college 
he was a pretty good corner at mm. Wyoming. He was over there by a guy you might have heard of named Josh Allen, who's the quarterback for the yeah. Bills now. <laughs> uh, We've heard of him. We've heard, heard of him, yeah. Plays golf, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> he does play golf. If one of those top three gets injured, Packers might be in some trouble. Yeah. But if they stay healthy, it's a good problem to have trying to figure out who's going to play on the outside and who's going to play in the slot. Yeah, because, I mean, we saw loads of hype about Shamar John Charles as well. People were like, oh, this guy's a sleeper pick, but it never really came to pass. And I, I guess the same is with uh, safety. Adrian Amos, amazing. Darnell Savage Jr., amazing. The potential these two have together. Again, it's hard to come up with sort of a safety tandem in the league. But then after that, another free-for-all. You're looking at, you yeah, know... Who knows? Yeah, it's it's a bit bonkers, really, isn't it? Um, but it's one of those positions that seemingly after these guys, the Packers really can't get get right. But it's good. Uh, Mason Crosby, friend of the podcast, humble brag. Um, so Mason made it back as kicker. Um, and, you know, they're always bringing in guys, aren't they, Matt, to sort of have that competition there. It's always good to push someone on. And Crosby was one of those ones because of the salary cap was rumoured to be let go because he was very expensive. Um, and then they bring in Pat O'Donnell as punter because they weren't happy with how it went on as like the old Mason Crosby something. And then we saw Stephen Vertle go and Jack Coco, which is uh, an awesome name. Um, special teams is always a place and it's very boring for BS but we're real sort of anoraks here uh, special teams do you think that we go into the season with Crosby O'Donnell and Coco because they always seem to pull a re- there was one time didn't they Matt where they got um, all of their punters and let every one of them go and then they brought in I forgot to remember his name I can see his torso very clearly but I can't remember his goddamn name uh, he was all over Instagram but is this the special teamers that we go in with and is the bar so low that special teams has to be grand again it comes to the season listen a- anything better than what they had last year is an improvement yeah. and you know, in uh rick goslin's rankings packers were 32nd and that's last so <laughs> a- anything better than yeah. the floor is is incredibly low expectations are low for rich basaccia i do think it's crosby o'donnell and coco steven wordle is is Still there. It'll be a long snapper competition. There's going to be a quote-unquote competition at kicker, mm. uh, too, with Gabe Burke, who was uh, a Lou Groza Award finalist at Oklahoma last year. But I think it's going to be Crosby and O'Donnell, and then long snappers may be up for grabs. Um, listen, I don't think the success of special teams rests with those guys. I think it rests with the coverage units, the return units. Mm. Often, uh, Brian Gutekunst and others have implied or straight up said the field goal misses were not Mason Crosby's fault. It was the protection, the snap holding, the whole operation. Um, Brian Gutekunst called Mason Crosby a championship kicker this offseason. Yes, he missed 10 field goals this year. And sure, some of the blame certainly lies on him. But uh, I, I really do think the Packers think he's the least of their problems on special teams. So getting a punter in there for mainly holding purposes is, is going to be huge. I think uh, figuring out who your long snapper is going to be and then figuring out who, who your protection unit is going to be because on that block against the 49ers in the playoff game at the end of the first half, I think it was Heller Lancaster is is on the wing and does not even move. And and that needs, I think Rich Passaccia will fix that stuff. And then there's the coverage units. You know, we always like to talk about how of the 14 teams who made the playoffs last year, uh, the Raiders had the highest percentage of starters used on special teams during the regular season. Packers had the fewest. Yeah. And, and it shows, does that matter? 
I mean, you get what you put out, don't you? I mean, that was so obvious, you know. Right. I, I think Devon, Devondre Campbell, Aaron Jones, Adrian Amos doing punt protection drills. I don't know if they're going to be doing that when games count, but I think it's an all-hands-on-deck mentality, and you're going to see a unit that is better. Um, if they can get into the low 20s in the NFL in terms of these rankings, that that will be huge. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it seems like a, it's a tr- Green Bay tradition now. It, I'd almost feel bad if they improved it. I'd feel like we're missing something. It's it's kind of like cheese curds and spotted cow in Green Bay now because it's just Mike McCarthy handed over play calling. Um, I think maybe even to Clements, Tom Clements, um, because he wanted to go and sort out special teams. That didn't pan out. And then it's just been one disaster after another. Um, and yeah, it's about time it was addressed. But Basachi is a really interesting candidate in the sense that I think he was voted in when he took over for the Raiders as like coach of the year or something for, for getting them where he did. So surprising that he wanted to go to Green Bay at that position. Um, but again, I mean, he, he keeps his reputation intact. But look, Matt, we've been talking about Packers and you've been really, really super duper gracious uh, with your time. Um, and we like to wax the Urkel because we're Irish uh, to talk to Tay. Um, but I've, I reckon the real question that we all want to know and why we're so excited on this side of the pond is, is that we've this London game coming up. It's the International Series game. I'm pretty sure there's been some dissent and some negativity on that side of the pond, but we've tried to block it out. Our question is, are you coming? And secondly, yeah. what do you drink, Matt Schneidman? Uh, hopefully I'm coming. Still kind of working through some travel budget stuff with The Athletic. Um, I plan on being there. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family will be there because I grew up a diehard New York Giants fan, and they still are Giants fans. I'm not really anymore. The Being an objective journalist has kind of taken the fan out of me. <laughs> yeah. But um I'm really excited for that. If I do get to go, fingers crossed that that my my travel proposal gets approved. Um, what do I drink? I'm not a huge beer drinker. Right. I'll be honest. I'll drink. It, it's maybe it's childish, but I I love the hard seltzers. I I love a good cranberry vodka, vodka lemonade, whatever like that. I'm not a big beer guy, mm. and a lot of your Maybe I'm stereotyping here, but a lot of your audience will probably... <laughs> Stereotype away, Matt, because you have the second name Schneidman and we just went with it. So, I mean, by all means, say what yeah, you want stereotype. to say. Oh, <laughs> Irish and English, because you know what? Sometimes stereotypes are true about us. Whiskey, can we get you onto a whiskey, maybe? Listen, if I'm over in London, I'll do whatever you guys want. It's not every every year you get to, you get to go over there. So I'm open to doing whatever. It okay, is. I'm going to try and smuggle smuggle vodka and whiskey into the stadium. So if any security are listening, don't look out for me. Not, what? Oh, not okay. during the game. I might be listening to this. Not during the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we want to stipulate that. It's it's completely, it's, uh, what's that, the 19th hole? It's after all festivities. Um, but look, Matt, when you're doing your budget and you're submitting it and you're putting in expenses and everything else, just do not put beer, vodka or any sort of alcohol because, believe me, you're very popular over here. We speak about you all the time on the podcast and you will not have to spend a single dime or pound or pence uh, on beer when you come over. That is Matt Schneidman from The Athletic. Matt, uh, have you got any sort of sneak previews of stuff that's coming on The Athletic that we should be watching out for? Um, I can't reveal the exact story I'm hoping to do because it hasn't uh, been 100% approved by the player I'm doing it with or hope to do it with. So I'll leave it at that because I don't want to say what it is and then have it fall through and people be disappointed, myself included, but... Could have something really cool coming next week, 
but uh, have some things on the table for training camp. And I think once camp starts picking back up, you'll see uh, things more interesting out of the box, especially with locker room access, uh, than these position previews that you guys probably know everything about already, especially you diehard fans. So uh, I'm really, really excited to get back into the locker room. We've already been in there a couple times, um, but on a daily basis during training camp, during regular season, I think is when the story ideas really start to flow. And, and I think the subscribers, the readers will be, will be happy with what we've got coming this season. Another very important one for the Green Bay Packers, as everyone is. Uh, and I always speak sure. for Daryl when we're very excited to read about it. Um, again, we've been subscribers to The Athletic and when it moved over from Michael Cohen to you, I mean, just the the, out, the coverage is just sublime um, and it's really, yeah. really good to have you in there, um, Matt. And again, a massive thanks for coming on the podcast with myself at Steedy the NFL from himself at Daryl J. O'Brien. And of course, you can find Matt Schneiden on The Athletic and very, very active across social media as well. Matt, you hero. Thank you very much. Hopefully, we'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But hopefully, more importantly, we'll see you in London for that game. Hopefully. I can't thank you guys enough for having me on. Always a good chat. And and I'll let you know uh, if I'm officially coming over for that game. I should find out pretty soon. Fingers crossed.